Hello and welcome to Notes from Musicians' Kitchens. I'm Jennifer Johnston and during this series I'll be talking to prominent music professionals about the relationship between food and music and everything in between. Notes from Musicians' Kitchens is a subscription-only online cookbook and mixology resource written by musicians from all over the world, sharing their food traditions and tastes to raise money for Help Musicians UK, a charity offering one-off hardship grants to musicians adversely affected by the music industry shutdown during the COVID-19 pandemic. Food is not just a universal need, but also a universal link to our homes and communities, and a universal pleasure, just like music. We rely on food in the same way that we rely on music during extraordinary times like these. To bring structure and a feeling of normality to our days, to alleviate boredom and frustration, to entertain, to strengthen the feeling of community, and to bring comfort joy and solace. Notes from Musicians' Kitchens is a means of digitally breaking bread with each other, of sharing and appreciating our diverse food cultures, and of creating new memories. Please subscribe at www.notesfrommusicianskitchens.com. It's a one-off payment of only £10, every penny of which is a donation to Help Musicians UK. And you can also follow our progress on our dedicated Facebook and Instagram pages. I'm delighted that my guest this week is American bass baritone Ryan Speedo Green, who has spent lockdown with his family in his home in Vienna, Austria, a long way from his native Virginia. Speedo, as he's known to his friends, grew up in a very challenging environment, yet despite that has made it to the very top level of our profession requiring not just dedication, but real self-belief and real talent. You'll hear what he thinks about the relationship between food and music, about the connection between slavery and southern food, about the importance of eating well, about remaining thankful, even if you're living in your mum's car and you don't know when you'll next be able to eat, and that lasagna is opera. But first... A huge thanks to the sponsors of this series, Berry and Rye, Liverpool's beloved speakeasy, hidden behind an anonymous black door, a cocktail bar with a huge heart and great jazz. During lockdown, we've all become very aware of how important local businesses are within their communities. Berry and Rye and their mixologists, the best in the business, have set up a delivery service on Fridays and Saturdays, where they bring their signature cocktails ready-mixed to your door, hugely appreciated, especially by parents who faced a stressful week of homeschooling. Cocktails available include classics like Negroni, Manhattan and Old Fashioned, and all you need to worry about is whether you have ice in the house. You can find them on Instagram as at Berry and Rye. Now to introduce my guest. Ryan Speedo Green has quickly garnered an international reputation as a breakthrough star, appearing at many of the world's most important opera houses and music festivals. A regular guest at the Metropolitan Opera in New York, he is a member of the ensemble at the Wiener Staatsoper in Vienna and has a prolific concert career. 
In 2016, the New York Times bestselling book, Sing for Your Life, by journalist Daniel Bergner was published, telling the story of Speedo's profoundly unusual personal and artistic journey to the operatic stage. I'm delighted that he now joins me. Welcome to Notes from Musicians' Kitchens. Hi there, Speedo. Thank you so much for joining me. It's so lovely to see you. How has it been for you guys since uh, the whole world shut down? Well, uh, I have to say it's so it's been sort of a blessing in disguise. You know, I was getting ready to leave soon to go be my normal singer, uh, nomad self, where I travel all over the world and, and perform at different opera houses. And because of this, uh, actually, I get to spend a lot of you know quality time with my toddler, who's two, two years and uh, seven months, eight months. And then I have a new baby on the way due in end of June, beginning of July. So I actually get to be here for that, which is really Really, really exciting for me to be here for that. It, it was really kind of painful because uh, coming up in the next month uh, after May, I have two of my most favorite roles that I would have been able to perform at with the Vienna State Opera uh, in Austria, and I will not be able to perform them now. All the work I put in, every time I pass my score <laughs> in, my, in, my, in my apartment and know that all the, all the passion and work I put in, I won't be able to show the, the Vienna audience or, you know, who knows, the world. So hopefully I'll get another chance to perform them, though. How have you found daily life during this period? I think, I mean, it's it's really important um, to maintain a schedule, you know, uh, and sort of have some semblance of uh, plan. Because if you just kind of just go aimlessly at every day, especially with a child and a wife, it, uh, the day can get really long and you can get in your head about a lot of things, especially singers, you know, we're very interpretive with our feelings, you know, putting our feelings to our art and when our art for me, when I'm not being able to perform my art, a lot of my feelings, you know, just go more inward. And, uh, you know, with me uh, and my child and my wife, we, you know, making plans every day, you know, planning out our week, it, it helps a lot. You know, every, we get up every morning, we, uh, you know, have our coffee, feed, feed our son, play with him a little bit, go outside every day for a certain amount of time to make sure he gets some, you know, oxygen and real air. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, of course, you know, which has been really awesome for us is me and my wife have been able to cook a lot of amazing dishes together. And uh, uh, for, for me, food is, you know, the way to the soul. And, and, uh, and for Elena, it's the same thing. And so we whipped up some pretty amazing uh, meals in the last six, seven weeks. I have to say, the photos of what you've been cooking are quite extraordinary. And I'm <laughs> utterly jealous that I don't live in the same city or even the same country. So I can't come over and hang out with you guys. <sighs> particularly not at the moment. What's the thing that you've enjoyed cooking the most? Well, you know, uh, for me, it's, I, have, I, have, I get a favorite almost every week with, 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 with Elena. You know, my, my wife has a, you know, both a history, not only in, as, a, as a German, but she was born in Kazakhstan uh, during the Soviet Union. So she has both uh, um, a Russian and a German side to her cooking. And me being African-American, I have both roots in typical American food as well as soul food. And so combining these two things uh, weekly, you know, I've gotten to eat things like pilmini, which is like a Russian dumpling to like <clears throat> uh, Irena getting a, a real American Philly cheesesteak, which it took me forever to find provolone cheese because <laughs> uh, we don't have cheese this here. So I do the next best thing. And we've made some really amazing meals sharing, you know, our past, our heritage with each other. And yeah, and this, you know, I think this week we already have in the refrigerator marinating uh, shashlik, uh, which we're marinating for two days and then going to cook it on the grill. 
So, you know, we're, 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 it's really exciting. Uh, just think, looking forward to the food we're going to share together. What I found interesting is watching in particular your choice of dishes because they very much hark back to, I suspect, what you would have considered comfort food when you were growing up. Mm-hmm. Some of the stuff you can get in American shopping malls in particular in the food court. <laughs> um, has that brought you comfort? Here in Austria, um, the moment that uh, the, the shutdown happened, I think it was middle of March, March 10th or something, March 10th or 12th, I think it happened. Um, they shut down all the restaurants uh, immediately. So um, we basically, other than going to uh, getting delivery, there was no going to a restaurant having, especially the malls, all the malls are closed. For me, being already in a foreign country, it's hard to find food that reminds me of home. For me, the comfort of planning out my meal, like, you know, in a sense, when I made my Philly, made the Philly cheesesteak for Irena and, and, uh, and my son, I thought, you know, okay, I need to see where I can find a really good ribeye. And then I have to figure out, like, you know, where to get my cheese. You know, I also need a certain kind of uh, beef fat because you have to cook, you know, Philly cheesesteak in more, you know, they call in America, we call it beef tallow. I don't know if that's the same thing. And, and, and you have to cook it in its own beef fat and then have it uh, find yeah. it, make sure it, my knives are sharp enough. Those, those sort of things. It's, a, it's a really healthy dish. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's why and that's and that's why again planning your day i also doing a lot of uh walking make sure i get my ten thousand steps every day with having a two-year-old almost three-year-old with us you just can run pretty much for non-stop as long as you let him run so we we have a great neighborhood where you can just go circles and circles and big circles and big circles and so we've been getting a lot of exercise as well now many of the people that have seen you on stage whether it's in vienna or at the met in new york may not be aware of your quite extraordinary beginnings, not just in opera, but actually in life. And a few years ago, the journalist Daniel Bergner wrote an extraordinary book, actually, about you, about your start in life called Sing for Your Life. And I just want to chat to you about it because not only is the book extraordinary, but your path to where you are now is so extraordinary. I think if somebody had written it as a fiction book, perhaps nobody would have believed it. Right from sort of word go, really, your life was a big challenge. When you were very small, and particularly once your mother was a single parent and bringing you up with a struggle ahead of her, what kind of food did you eat? And was food hard to come by? Well, um, there was a certain point, certain part uh, after my, my mom uh, became a single mother that uh, we pretty much were living in her car. My mom was a very prideful person, was able to uh, let go of her pride and ask my grandmother uh, for help in letting us stay with her. So we drove all the way from California to Florida and uh, lived with my grandmother. And uh, that was that is when I was introduced to kind of my first memories that I can remember of of food. And I remember the kind of things that uh, my grandma, my grandma basically was taking care of us. My mom was figuring out her life, working, you know, 24 seven to try and set up a set up so we can have a place to live on our own, me and my brother. And uh, I remember my grandma would cook things like, which I didn't know at the time. I thought it was steak, but it was actually uh, um, liver <laughs> because back then um, my grandma couldn't really afford steak, especially um, from um, circumstances that my family came from. You know, you learn how to make do with what you have which is kind of actually how fried chicken and barbecue came to be because, you know, it was a slave food. Slaves made fried food out of the crappiest parts of animals just so it could be, you know, flavorful and tasteful. And so my, grand, my grandma would make these liver and onions and, and it would literally look like steak. And it looked so good. Sometimes it fooled my mom and my mom hates liver and onions. So, so she would bite into it and it would be like the worst thing ever. But I loved it. I thought it was amazing. And 
Uh, I just remember things Full like of this. vitamins for you guys, young boys. <laughs> Iron, <up>. yes. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever question any of it? Did you ever worry no. about where the food was coming from? You know, it's, it's the grass is always greener kind of thing. Like I never... I never realized when I was younger that what I was eating was bargain food or the stuff that was like on sale. I never, I never thought about it. I just, you know, I ate what was in front of me. But of course, as I got older, probably like in my early teens, you know, when I was starting to have sleepovers at friends' houses and seeing what they ate and what they had and realizing like, oh my God, like it's not normal to eat, have like a tomato, lettuce and mayonnaise sandwich <laughs> for, uh, for a meal. That's not like a legit sandwich. And uh, I didn't never, I never put any thoughts to it. I never put, never put my wrap my head around it till then. And of course, like any silly teenager, I, I was like, why am I not having Philly cheesesteak, or why am I not having you know going out to eat at Applebee's or or both things like this? And and then I sort of realized where I, where my status was. It's no secret that when you were really very young, you were in pretty major trouble and ended up in juvie in juvenile mm-hmm. detention. When you were inside, do you have any recollection of how life was in terms of not just food, but your relationships with others around you? Well, um, uh, after, during the book, the, the writing of the book, Sing for Your Life, uh, Daniel Bergner was able to get my records, um, of course, with my consent uh, from the juvenile detention center that I, that I was incarcerated at. And I got to see this sort of ginormous uh, log of every 15 minutes for the two, min- two months that I was there. So you can imagine how much, how many, how much was written about me. Um, and, uh, it was not, not good stuff. There was not many good things in there. Um, pretty much constantly, um, acting out. I was a uh, very emotional, aggressive, you know, I didn't want to be there and felt um, abandoned even now. Like I, I, I remember when we were starting doing the research, research for the book that I didn't remember a lot because I blacked out a lot of it just so I could get, get on with my life and not dwell on it. But as I read the records, it came back to me, and I remembered the food was, of course, if you can imagine, it was uh, uh, comparative to hospital food, it, and and sometimes the nurses, not the nurses, sometimes the what would you call them, the the guards, um, the guards, and not the some yes. social workers there were able to uh, cook for the kids, um, and they made us meals. And those meals, I remember, like like I got to not mess up so I can have some because if you're if you're in trouble, you didn't get to have any. I remember those sort of moments, and for me, it was uh, an eye opener. And not many, not many teenagers go into juvie and don't come back. <laughs> uh, and I was, I went to juvenile detention, and I, when I left, I did whatever I could to not get back, and tried to change every part of my life from how I talked to who I hung out with to how I spoke to my my parents. That was whatever I could do to not end up back there again. When you consider your childhood as a whole because of that slightly <clears throat> difficult path that you had do you have recollections about food that you have nice memories of I mean, i'm not really talking about liver and onions but more are the things that today <clears throat> that you would think about that would bring back good memories for me food throughout my entire life till i found music like the thing that i loved the most was watching my mom cook you know my my mom uh though she worked all the time when she did have time to cook the things she could whip up in the kitchen with nothing to this day, I tell my, you know, to my wife and anybody who meets me that there's very few people in this world who can cook as good as my mom. We butted heads almost every moment that we were together, but when she was in the kitchen, that was her kingdom. And I respected every single thing that she made in there. And I, I did not want to interrupt it. I just wanted to be an, an admirer. And I remember that, she, you know, for my birthday, this is, this is, you know, 
looking back, it was something so small, but to me meant the world. Uh, she knew my favorite dish was lasagna. And, you know, any good lasagna is very expensive to make. And my mom didn't make it very often, um, probably, you know, maybe once a year. And that once a year was my birthday. And she went all out. And I remember she would buy like five cheeses and make the meats, the meat sauce and, you know, mix it with the, you know, the, the whites, the, the ricotta or the mascarpone. And, uh, and she even mixed it with like a cottage cheese, which is super weird, <clears throat> but it tastes amazing you know, in, a, in, a, in a white sauce. And uh, she would put like, you know, she'd know I love pepperoni. She would put pepperoni in it, uh, you know, just because she knew that it was like my favorite thing. And she made this special song for me that, that for me, Felt like it took a lifetime to make. She was chopping and cutting every vegetable, and and I sat there in amazement. And, and when it came out, uh, you know, of the oven, you know, smoke it piping hot with it, all the cheese melts on top. And she opened the the pan for me and said, you know, this is yours. Happy birthday, all mine. You know, even though my older brother was sitting there waiting to get his slice, and, I, and she let let me have the first big slice. I thought, you know, this is I'm never going to get this moment, and I never did. And to this day, I still, you know, think of that that as being one of the most amazing moments. And in my child, every, every birthday, I knew that I was going to get my, my lasagna, you know? <laughs> and is that, is that still the dish that's the favorite that your mom cooks even um, now? Well, you know, the irony is uh, the moment I left my home to pursue this field in opera, I pretty much was never home for my birthday again. Since, uh, since I was 18 years old, I've never been home for my birthday. Until recently, in Corona times, um, I was... Uh, home and quarantine for with my wife you know the whole state of austria for my birthday which is april 1st and uh my my wife spoke to my mother and uh made me uh my mom's lasagna for my birthday for me that's so, I had my so first, brilliant yeah so the first time ever since i was 18 years old you can imagine it's been a while i've had my mom's lasagna made by my wife's kind of her version mixed with my mom's version and it was the best thing the best lasagna i've ever had in my entire life did it taste anything like what you'd remembered? It, it, it tasted like my mom with with my wife's expertise and heart in it, and it, you, I, it was oh. like it was almost too perfect because it had both of the you know two most important women in my life to this point, you know, being my mom and, and my wife, and having them both combined together to make something this amazing for me, especially during these times. It was awesome, and it was it was a it was a great dinner experience, and um, luckily I didn't have my brother there to take any of it from me. <laughs> So it was basically all mine, um, you know, uh, <laughs> and even my son, he, he wasn't really that into it. So I, I really, it was more for me. So I was, I was like Excellent. overwhelmed with the, with the amount of lasagna and I really probably ate way too much that day. Did you share any with Irene or was she not allowed any? Uh, you know, you know, she, she, I, I allowed her to have a piece, you know. Oh, so generous. <laughs> no, but it, it, it's, I feel very lucky that in, in this in this world of opera you know it's it's a uh, not people you know, people think it's just demanding on stage but it's also demanding off stage you know with the with our personal lives and a, and a lot of the best singers in the world had to sacrifice some part of their social slash personal life to be able to do what they do at the best at the highest level and i was very lucky in my life that i met Irena before my career ever took off and we built something you know, in a, in a foreign country that is neither of our homes. And I, every time I come home from work, which, you know, whether it be in the afternoon or after a show at night, I know that, you know, she's going to be there for me both, you know, emotionally and, and physically and having that comfort uh, in the kitchen as well. And having, knowing I'm going to have the best meals of my life makes it comforting to come home after work and know that I'm going to, I'm going to be able to either make something with her or have her make something for, uh, you know, for me. And, 
And I mean, she is awesome a feeling. crazy good cook. She's really, really Seriously. good. Seriously. Yeah, yeah. She should be writing <laughs> her own cookbook. It's, it really? was, which is funny to me. She, when I first, this, this is a story you, that you'll love to hear. So when we first met uh, in New York City, um, I was always told by my mother the best way to uh, a woman's heart is her stomach. So, and also I was, I was uh, on a young artist budget, so I didn't have much money to go out to eat. So I was like, I made many, many excuses to cook for Elena at my, at my apartment in New York City. And so for like the first two months, I cooked for her almost exclusively every, every day. It, it was it was amazing and she and she never said anything like oh i'm a great cook too she's just like oh she just let me cook for her for for two months and so she decided for a two-month anniversary to uh, cook for me i was like this is amazing and she made she she shopped at this um, um high-end supermarket in in new york in new york city uh and got some salmon and wrapped it in prosciutto and and made uh, like a uh um, some sort of green dish with a uh like a white sauce and it, and it was it was amazing and uh i ate it with my with my roommate um because we had some leftover and uh, this is for our two-month anniversary and uh two days later no, no 24 hours later i woke up uh with a bad stomach virus <laughs> and so did my roommate who had the same food and then i called it and she happened to be uh in the hospital with the stomach virus and apparently that fancy store that she shopped at gave her bad fish. If you've ever had food poisoning from fish, you know it is much, 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 much worse than chicken or beef. So we, me and my roommate decided, you know, maybe we won't, won't let her cook. So I, I, I cooked for her for the next, like, pretty much eight, nine months of our relationship. I, she did not touch a single thing in our kitchen by my roommate's request. Uh, and then I'll never forget, I had a party, a Super Bowl party, and, um, and she cooked this ridiculous like potato salad, like a hot potato salad. And um, uh, I let it, I told her she could, you know, put it to the side and make sure everybody knows it's hers. You know, <laughs> and, and, and all of a sudden everybody started coming to me. I'm like, Speedo, who made that potato salad? And I was like, Elena, my girlfriend at the time, she was my wife yet. And, uh, and I was, me and my roommate were looking at each other like, what, 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 she made what? And no one was talking about my ribs that I made or like all these appetizers that I made. They were talking about her potato salad. I'm like, what the heck? And I was like, I'll give it one. I'll give it a little spoonful just to see what it's about. And I had one spoonful and I took that bowl into my room. And I was not sharing with anybody. And I ate that whole, <laughs> day, <laughs> that whole damn thing. And after that, she basically, from that day forward, it was her cooking. I was like, you, if you can cook a potato salad, this good that that no that nobody wants to touch my ribs that I make and I make really good ribs, then you you know how to cook, girl. And yeah, since then we've been pretty much uh, enjoying her cooking. There's a definite pattern where you're concerned, though, in my observation, which is that every meal has to contain meat of some description. <laughs> like every meal we've ever shared together has involved not just a small amount either. So no. is it the case that you couldn't ever contemplate being a vegetarian? You know, the irony is, that this is another thing I have to owe to my wife. The, I, I, the, my discovery of vegetables is because of her. And you wouldn't believe this or not, but I went, I went vegetarian uh, for a whole month, uh, or no, for 40 days. In our second year of dating, Elena gave up meat for, uh, for Lent. And I was like, you know, trying to prove to her how much I, you know, was really into her and loving her. So I was like, I'll give it up too. And so for 40 days, I gave up meat. How was that? Ate I, I mean, I'm still here. I'm alive. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up, though, doesn't it? <laughs> and, but but you know, there 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 was a we we, we took turns cooking for each other, and uh, there was like a week I made a different salad for her, 
every day, like a different uh, vegetarian salad for her. I had never made a salad for myself in, in my life to that point, except, you know, like a buffet, grabbing some, you know, vegetables and calling it a salad. But I went, all, went out of my way, made some amazing salads, like creative, went online, researched, you know, spice it up. And we and that made me understand that vegetables aren't so bad. And we've had days here in Austria where we're just like, okay, we're not going to eat meat. And we have um, strictly vegetables, vegetable dishes. You know, I've discovered what barley is or, you know, what, oh yeah, we, 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 we barbecued eggplant the other day, eggplant and zucchini and halloumi cheese on the grill. Like no that. meat, something I never would have done on my own, but because of, you know, her love of vegetables, which way outranks her love for meat. <laughs> we, sort of, we sort of meet in the middle. <laughs> it's a healthy balance then yeah. which is what we're all after i think in the yeah, end sure. in this period have you struggled getting anything in the supermarkets has there been a shortage of anything uh, you know of course at first uh uh everybody panic shopped so the first thing the first thing that i noticed disappeared was uh stuff that you make bread with and like uh, not only flour but uh um um yeast all this kind of stuff like disappeared so quickly and stores are out of it for like weeks and, and I was like, can't y'all just take toilet paper like like Americans? And no, they were taking out like <laughs> actual cooking stuff. Uh, um, we had plenty of toilet paper. You know, if I could have eaten toilet paper, I would have been fine. That's like <laughs> the UK as well. In this country, it is still very difficult to get flour. And we discovered yeah. yesterday that's because the plants that are packing the flour into household size bags are all cut closed. So... You can get flour if you're willing to take 20 kilo bag. But of course, most households don't require that. So mm. it means that the sort of general supermarkets haven't got any. Um, it's a slightly odd thing. So I keep every day on social media, just picture after picture of sourdough, which <laughs> I find really weird. In material. <laughs> no, I'm all right, actually. I'm somebody that doesn't eat a lot of bread, so I'm okay. actually okay. I, I would struggle far more if there were a few other shortages. I think eggs, cheese, those sorts of things I would really, really miss. But it has been a slightly weird challenge to feeders when odd things have been missing. Like you go to make something and a particular herb is missing. or There has been definite weird sort of gaps in the supermarket. The more I, more I make, the, the more I'm... Uh finding that, that these things are disappear quickly. And, you know, I started, get, we, uh, we started getting into baking a lot of breads. And when I wanted to make uh, some American style uh, cinnamon rolls two or three weeks ago, I could not find germ. I went to like four or five different stores. I even traveled 10, 15 minutes outside of my district just to, just to find some and it was all out. And uh, um, when I finally found one, it was in like a ginormo two-year pack of <laughs> and i was like i bought it and i brought, and I brought it home and, 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 and you know my wife was like do you just need one one of these things it's like well you know what i'm just gonna take what i can get you know beggars can't be choosers yeah you don't question things at this point i don't think yeah just take um, it. We'll, we'll make we'll make cinnamon rolls every day <laughs> that's no hardship is it let's face it i think the interesting thing though is that you and irene are big cooks anyway but a lot of people are cooking a lot more and discovering that actually the food they make is a lot nicer than you will get in a lot of restaurants and a lot of fast food joints. Do you think that this period will change the way that you operate in cooking? I realize, you know, as gosh, in living in New York City for, for seven years, 
you basically live off going out because it's actually sometimes it's actually majority of the time it's cheaper to eat out than it is to buy groceries in New York City because of all the taxes. And here living in uh, Austria and Vienna, I sort of crossed over with that mentality when I first came here and just went out a lot. Um, but once I, you know, once I had a child, then all of a sudden it was important for me and Irena to make sure that he has home cooked meals, like, you know, that we're not buying a lot of processed stuff. And because you're cooking for him, you might as well cook for yourself as well. We started cooking a lot more than we, we normally would have before we had our child. And then, uh, with this happening, I'm realizing that my, uh, monthly food bills are a lot less, even though I'm like really splurging when it comes to like, how, you know, things I cook, keeping that in mind, <clears throat> I can imagine for other families or other, you know, couples, they're going to be, especially with the financial crisis happening as well, being like, you know, we can do this on our own. And I hope restaurant, the restaurant businesses find ways to get over this and uh, come back and better than ever. But there's definitely going to be less going out for us after this, for sure. Of the things that you would normally have bought that you haven't, what are they? I mean, you say your food bills have dropped loads. What, what haven't you been buying? We haven't been buying a lot of, for instance, Austrian comfort food, Austrian food. Like, well, <clears throat> the schnitzels and the verse and the burgers, uh, things like this, which, you know, I love a lot. <laughs> we, we don't, we don't go out for that. And also, um, you know, we, we love our occasional date night. And I think that's important for any relationship, um, especially when, when children are involved to make sure that you guys spend some time knowing why you're together, <laughs> not just raising a child. Those, those nights are now at home. <laughs> and those kind of meals are for like the fancy steaks, which now uh, I'm utilizing my grill and it's, you know, summertime, it's warmer weather. So you know, I'm, I'm buying the cuts of meat that I like um, at the butcher or the grocery store and coming home and cooking myself. And instead of it being like, you know, a 50, $60 Euro meal, it's a 15, 20 Euro meal for the two of us, you know? And I think, uh, realizing that I can, you know, it's not going to, you know, my steak's not going to be Gordon Ramsay, you know, level steak, but it's going to be, you know, you know, maybe, you know, slightly lower, slightly lower. <laughs> Interesting though, eh? Because it means then you're probably eating better quality food for less money. That's what your mother and your grandmother always strive for anyway. Yeah. And I suppose it goes to show that you don't need a lot of money. Oh, grandparents generation the war generation made something out of nothing half the time because there wasn't anything particularly in the uk after the second world war there, there was rationing until quite a number of years after the war ended so our, our grandparents generation could invent from well whatever they could find in the shops they would create something from and i suppose mm -hmm. that's the thing if you've grown up in a an environment like that you're quite set up aren't you for coping and 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 uh pursuing a field like classical music, especially when you're coming from a support system that's pretty much your only you. <laughs> um, you have, uh, I remember in college and in grad school and a couple of years after that, uh, you know, I have to fend for myself, there, was not a lot, there wasn't a lot of going out. <clears throat> and uh, I cooked what I could cook at home and what I could afford. Of course, once my career started getting off, uh, I spent a little more time exploring different foods that I could never make at my at home, including sushi, which I never I never had sushi until I went to college. Uh, nor did I ever have seafood. Like a lot, I never had uh, like my meat seafood. I mean, like lobster and and the chowders and clams and this kind of stuff. I never had this stuff as a kid. 
And it wasn't until uh, I, you know, I got out of my house, got, got my own job, and was just only taking care of myself <clears throat> that I was able to experiment and try these things, which again, it's sushi is one of, of me and Anne's favorite foods. And uh, we still haven't made it at home yet, but it's something we're thinking about in the future trying out. So. I think after what she did to you in New York City, though, I think you need to be careful about what fish <laughs> you buy. <laughs> well, let me tell you, uh, I, I, one would think after experiencing, you know, three days of food poisoning, which if seafood can is literally the worst kind of food poisoning you can get, I would never touch seafood again. And seafood is not even my favorite kind of meat or uh, product. And to this day, I still love my wife's seafood, man. She makes some amazing uh, fish, like when, especially when a uh, help, like she takes, I guess I'm trying to think of the American version of the fish, bass fish, or like the, it's a, she could take any sort of like, <clears throat> like a cheap white fish. Oh, and, and maybe cat, make, catfish yeah, maybe. Yeah, something like this, yeah. And then uh, um, I make like a pesto uh and and put it in the oven and and bake the pesto on top you know with some cheese or something like this and i i i love it i i and i'm not a person who grew up loving fish in general but when my wife makes it i'm i'm, I'm all about it just cutting back a bit because actually something you said was really interesting to me barbecue and the sort of kfc style southern fried chicken came from slavery that you yourself are descended from a family of slaves I, was, I mean, I would assume as far as my dad is concerned, my dad's side stops at like 1870 something, 1880 something is when our family line starts, which means that uh, before then we had no record. Uh, we were probably owned by somebody at some point. Um, my mom's side, we, I know very little about, but uh, I, I did a DNA test re- recently, like uh, two or three years ago. And I found out that I'm like, gosh, what am I, like 29% Scandinavian and uh, have Italian in me as well. Uh, which is which is quite funny because uh, lasagna is my favorite food. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, but presumably uh, that sort of Scandinavian bloodline could be from a plantation owner. Well, they were they were huge in the slave trade, so they they may not have bought a lot of slaves, but they definitely were part of the slave trade. They were the ones give, bringing them to the United States to be sold. And I also found out that I even have some uh, uh, in the islands. It's not Pacific Islander. It's a uh, it escapes me, but um, I have some like some sort of Pacific Islander, Micronesian or something, so, so something crazy, which which uh, which is off the island, which is off of uh, uh, Australia, on the islands over there, and I'm like, I have no idea where that came from, <laughs> Melanesian or something like this. I don't know, but it's it's quite interesting to uh, you know, the foods that I love. The two places that I mentioned were, were are very much into uh, carbs and, and meat. When I think Scandinavia and I think Italy, I think carbs and meat. <laughs> do you think that growing up in the south do you think there's a, a southern food thing is it identifiable what southern food is living in new york city i even realized that there's huge differences in southern food and northern food but because of technology and social media and things like cooking shows and the internet everybody can cook what everybody wants to eat but growing up in the you know the 80s and the 90s I, I remember even going, eating at my mom's house and then going to my friend's house who, once I got into music, I had a lot more friends who were white and I would go to their houses and the food that they would have would be, in my opinion, not seasoned. <laughs> and I was like, where's the seasoning? This, this is, this is, let's say so bland. And then there, my friends would come to my home and eat my mom's food, which again, didn't have the, maybe the quality of meat the, the families I went to visit had, but she would spice it the way that she grew up knowing how to spice food. And my friends would think that they're eating something out of like a Michelin star restaurant. And, and, so, and at one point in my, in my teenage life, 
people would, you know, come over to my home only when my mom was there. They they would, they were like, oh, is your mom gonna be this good? Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll come over. Is she gonna cook? Oh, I'll be over. I'll be over. And I was like, what? A, you want to hang out with me? I'm very very proud of my uh, my southern food roots. And there's even differences within the you know the African American community and the Caucasian community when it comes to southern food. And most of the the southern food that southerners raise up as as being southern food was not created by people who weren't of color. All all the foods that that people consider southern food that is like southern comfort food were created by people of color during the slave days for their for their masters or 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 things like this that they had to that they were forced to do. And, or they they had to cook for themselves to make food edible, and sure. this this idea, so, yeah, this idea of seasoning and and frying and coating, this is very much in, uh, done was created by slaves. And so, if you were going to cook a southern dinner, what would it involve? Involve? Um, it would depend. I mean, it's really hard to find a lot of things here in Austria, but um, we're getting better. And um, also, Amazon is an amazing tool for me to find spices and food items that I normally couldn't find in stores. Um, but for me, like a normal Southern meal uh, for dinner, I would to really be Southern. I would be maybe like a fried pork chop that would be smothered in some sort of gravy, whether it be a, a pepper gravy or a gravy made out of the um, the drippings of the of the pork chop. And then uh, I would think something like, uh, instead of bread, we'd use something like corn-based. Uh, I would think uh, cornbread or maybe um, even I love crackling cornbread, which is cornbread with, with pork cracklings in it. Oh, which that is sounds super, amazing. Yes, and it's, it's almost like a cake. It's delicious. And then I would have, as a vegetable, probably, I, my favorite vegetable, which is, it sounds silly, I love green bean casserole which is basically like canned, well, you can make it fancy, but mine is like canned green beans, a cream of mushroom soup, and then like bake it and then put some um, fried onions on top. And this is a green bean casserole, which is, I mean, I could eat, I could eat green bean casserole without even eating any meat. Like I just, I love it that much. Uh, <laughs> these sort of things. And so, you know, you'd, you'd have a, some sort of, in a, in a Southern meal, you'd have a, some sort of green, uh, it always has to be green. The vegetable has to be green, in my opinion. And then you'd have uh, some sort of, Fried pork is the most southern thing you can eat because beef as beef beef is everywhere, but like southern people love pork. I've even been to some uh, fancy upscale grocery stores here in Austria, and they sell Smithfield ham, which Smithfield is located in, in Virginia, southern Virginia. And I'm sure you probably even heard of Smithfield ham. Maybe I don't know if you've heard of it, but it is like a it is a southern staple. Um, Smithfield meats, Smithfield bacon, and uh, and we love our pork. So yeah, that's for me. That would be a southern meal. And if you had a um, if you had another dish, I think maybe some sort of sweet potato, a sweet potato, something like either a baked sweet potato with all the fixings or some sort of mashed sweet potatoes with uh, honey or marshmallows on it, something like this. This is very, very southern as well. It sounds gross. Sounds absolutely bad. disgusting. Try, try mashed, mashed sweet potatoes with a, a burnt marshmallows on top and brown sugar. And I promise you, you will love it. Okay, I'll take your word for that. <laughs> maybe I'll make it for you next time you're over. Okay, deal. But could I have something else as well? <laughs> oh, no. Um, in terms of your working life, though, I mean, as you said, and as you're aware of for all of us, it's the same until now, that travel has been such a big part of our lives. And, you know, we travel to sometimes very far-flung countries, but nonetheless, when we get there, we still have to perform. Do you have any, not rituals, but sort of routines when it comes to eating, when, it, when you're performing and you've got an opera to do. Yeah, so depending on how much time I have, like if I were spending doing like a concert, uh, some sort of like oratorio or a concert piece, um, I would be much more careful about what I eat. 
and uh, or doing an audition or something like this, I would fly usually, and I would I would um, the first thing I would do is make sure that I'm drinking enough water. I mean, I, I can tell you sometimes I go to a hotel, and the first thing I do is is go to a local uh, pharmacy and buy like two gallons or I guess three three or four three or three liters of water, come home and drink like chug a liter over the span of like 20, 30 minutes just to hydrate. And I'm super uh, paranoid about planes, flying planes and the amount of gunk that gets recycled, which of course planes are much way more amazing than they were like 30 years ago when it comes to the airflow. But for me, I'm maybe I'm just so paranoid that I make myself get sick. <laughs> and, uh, but I, oh, I, have to chug, I have to chug like a gallon of water. And then the next thing, um, after I feel like I'm really, really, really hydrated, then I usually, I usually have some sort of something meat, meat wise, of course, but no carbs. I try to avoid the carbs my first day, which is funny. For Any that. reason uh, for that? It keeps me, it keeps me regular. This, oh, I good. guess the, the PG version. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine with, with, uh, you know, uh, carbs as amazing as they are, are unless you're running a marathon or going straight to the gym, they stick to you and they call it, they make it very hard when you're traveling to stay regular meat depending on how you eat it of course if it's layered in carbs then the point is mute but uh you know have like a steak or or uh, or a, a big piece of fish or something like this or even a pork chop uh, and something as an uh, not a fried pork chop but maybe like a big pork chop uh then having tons of water you'll uh, you'll you'll i promise you you'll, you'll be regular <laughs> everybody listening to this would be so grateful for that advice yeah. And, and then for me, um, if I'm staying a longer period of time, for instance, doing an opera, I have to try like every local food, like, especially like I'm, I'm I think that actually makes me, if, if I have a longer period of time trying the local flavor, local flavors of food, it makes me feel like I'm a part of the community, which in, which in turn helps my mental state as far as like feeling like I can, you know, helping with my sleep. Like I'm feeling that I'm part of the community that I'm not, a, that I'm not alone, that I'm not, a, you know, it's already bad enough. I'm away from my family but it helps me feel like I'm part of the community trying like asking my, my taxi driver or the uh, hotel people, like, where do they like to eat? Not, you know, like not the hotel, but we're somewhere else. Or, you know, asking people on the street, if they're, they look friendly, like, Hey, like what's your favorite place to eat and putting that all together, doing some research and eating at different places. I mean, I'm, I remember I spent uh, two months in, in France in Lille and I had never been to Northern France before. I remember trying my first, uh, what do they call it, uh, uh, Cote de Boeuf, and also trying this like... Bourguignon? Uh, yeah, something like that, but it was made with like uh, gingerbread. Oh. It's amazing. It's hard to describe, but yeah, I, it I had the, not I had the name of appealing. dark beer and gingerbread, and it, it, I had it at like a local uh, French restaurant. After I had it, I felt like I had to go to sleep. <laughs> but let me tell you when i did sleep i slept it was one of the best sleeps i had in france and then i was like hmm, maybe i should have it again when i need really need when i'm really feeling like high strung and i had this this like 12 or 13 times in the span of two months that's so funny uh, yeah and it, 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 honestly, to me it was even better than the cote de book which i love steak so uh really it was, it was, i'd never yeah. have guessed to be honest <laughs> do you think that if you had to tell somebody today what your very favorite food was that you'd be able to. My favorite food in the world is lasagna. When I think of opera, I think of opera as like the culmination of everything amazing in art. You know, not only does it combine, uh, you know, uh, or the, the highest end of, of instruments, but the highest end of the voice, the highest end of the actual uh, 
theatrical development as well as the stagecraft and the and the and the sets that are made as even the the architecture that goes into creating the opera house like you have to you have to have some amazing architecture to make the opportunistic uh, space to perform uh, this type of art form which which has no supposed to not have any um, amplification and has been done for 400 years this way and uh, so when I think of lasagna, lasagna is, it had not only, I mean, if you're making my kind of lasagna, it's going to have not only like cheap, like different kinds of cheeses, it's going to have different kinds of meats, it's going to have, um, you know, amazing pasta, it's, it's going to have, you know, a, a, it's going to have vegetables in it, you know, <laughs> though they should never be the most important part, there's going to be vegetables in it, you know, and, and for me, like, it's going to be layered, so you're going to get like different flavor layers as you're eating it, and also it's going to even taste better the next day. You know, lasagna always tastes better the next day. I actually like lasagna cold out of the fridge the next so, day. Which again, it can, it can be cold, it can be hot. There's a there's a there's a part of lasagna that's for somebody. Even you can even have a vegetable lasagna if you want, or you know, there's even vegan lasagnas if you can spend that much money buying all that fake stuff. <laughs> and I'm going to quote you on that. Opera, according to Speedo, is lasagna. It is like lasagna. I think- I think that's a, <laughs> definitely a way to live. The other thing, though, that's notable about you, you are one of the very few people who, before you eat, you always say grace. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that food has a particularly important role to play in your life? I'm, I'm a very religious person without, I'm not a huge fan of organized, organized religion, but I believe, uh, you know, I have my own personal beliefs in God. And for me growing up, I was kind of taught food was something that was a given. You know, it wasn't something that was going to happen every day. In some situations in my childhood, it, it wasn't something that happened every day. And so for me, it was it, it was uh, in my family and my mother made it really important that you thank God for allowing for for giving us the opportunity to have a, a you know a meal on this table because it's not given to everyone. It's not it's not it's not, give, it's not a given. And you're very you're very lucky, very blessed to have you know as in in my situation to have it. And I I am reminded you know I have a very good life and I'm I'm very blessed. Uh, and have a roof over my head and always be able to put food on the table for my family. You know, every time I eat, I want, I remind that, that prayer that I, that I pray reminds me of where I came from and to never forget what it took to get here. And, you know, that nothing, take nothing for granted. Thank you to Ryan Speedo Green for joining me and talking about Southern food, slavery, the importance of family and faith, that lasagna is opera and that food really does equate to love in his world. Please support Notes from Musicians' Kitchens by subscribing to our website, www.notesfrommusicianskitchens.com. It's only a tenner, and every penny is going to help Musicians UK, a great cause. Make sure to tune in to the next episode, where I'll be talking to another music professional about what food means to them. Keep an eye on Instagram to discover their identity. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. And remember, food is love.